Welcome to Our Place. Before we begin, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians, the Boon Wurrung and Wurundjeri people on whose land this podcast series was produced. I want you to cast your mind back to when you were a lot younger. Of legal age, but still a little bit pimply and probably bursting with hormones, trying desperately to navigate an adult world. I've been there. We've all been there. One way I thought I could mainline the act of adulthood at the time was to drink what I thought was a rather glamorous glass of sweet white wine from a cask, just like the mums did at parties. Where I came from, the small country town of Redcliffs in Victoria, this was considered posh, even sophisticated. Serve sparkling porphyry pearl whenever you celebrate. Sparkling porphyry pearl is a quality wine made by Lindemans by the Champagne Method. Buy sparkling porphyry pearl from Metropolitan Bottle Departments for eight and six a large bottle. My go-to cask wine of choice in those days was a four-litre box. It had the name printed in an Art Deco font at the top and there was a sepia-toned image on the front of a lady dressed like an actor in the film that was very popular at the time, Picnic at Hanging Rock, luxuriating effortlessly in a small rowboat. The local town drunks, well, they'd request this very specific cask of wine at the bottle oak simply by saying, I'll have the lady in the boat, please. Everyone knew what they meant. The cask was cheap and it was everywhere. For those who turned their noses up at the cask, it also went by names like the Dubbo Handbag and Chateau de Cardboard. Clearly, it's never had a reputation amongst the wine snobs. But I'm here to change all that. As I got older, a poor student living in a share house, like many, I would keep a cask of wine in the fridge for emergencies. Or not emergencies, I'd just keep it in the fridge. At the time, I jokingly called it the lonely lady for when you need a friend in the fridge. I could also only afford cask wine, to be honest. Now, this friend was leaned on many, many times. Its intestinal silver bag was sometimes even blown up and got used as a pillow by house guests after a long night and that overstayed their welcome. Or it would be used as the centrepiece for the game Goon of Fortune, which you've probably heard of, which is basically spin the bottle with a goon bag pegged to the hill's hoist and you drink from the goon bag if it stops, which, well, as I said, basically spin the bottle. Oh, by the way, the word goon, incidentally, was possibly taken from the word flagon, which was the way people previously used to consume more than a litre of wine at the time, in a big, cumbersome flagon. I grew up in grape country, and I am amazed at how little I knew about wine back then, even though it was a pretty big deal in my town. Most people I knew in Redcliffs lived on what were called blocks. We spent our youth picking and harvesting grapes for the table, for cheap wine or sultanas. I suspect that some of the grapes I picked over many summers ended up in a few casks of wine. Now, this makes me very happy. Little did any of us know back then that the famed goon bag was an Australian invention. It was created in a town not too far from my own on what was also called a block, just like the one I lived on, and it would help make wine more accessible to all and be revered for its environmental potential. This is John Angove, the son of the inventor of the goon bag, Tom. And goon bag, oh dear, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't one of his favourites. I, um, I can imagine um, the, the idea of, of teenagers and, and, or young, young people 
playing that game Goon of Fortune where they spin yes, it around on, on yes. a clothesline. Don't, don't go there. No, 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 no. <laughs> You'll hear more from John later. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is Our Place, a podcast that aims to explore the designs of everyday Australian life as a way to understand what is Australian culture today. If culture is how we tell our stories to each other and to share who we are with the world, what is that story right now? And how can we use that story to create a new positive narrative for the future? Back to Redcliffe's where I grew up. Why? When the rest of the world calls the land that vines are grown on vineyards and the growers are called viticulturalists, why were our properties called blocks and why were the growers simply called blockies? The history is intriguing. After the First World War, Redcliffe's was one of the many designated soldier settlement towns, established for returned service people as a reward for their service. They were allocated a slice of land, divvied out by number, hence the name Blocks. They were expected to be able to clear the land, establish crops and a home, all thanks to an accrued interest loan that would eventually have to be paid back. So it wasn't really a thank you present at all. Let's remember too that these soldiers had just experienced the horrors of battles like Gallipoli and many of these towns were miles from family, support and for some, the land they were given particularly in what's now known as wheat belts, was not enough to profit from and often far too arid to grow produce or to keep livestock. Many also had war injuries, both physical and mental. No one spoke of that. History has found that the Soldier Settlement Initiative, which also acted as a way to disperse any potentially war-damaged men from the cities and put them in a situation with impossible odds, has now been deemed one of our greatest public policy failures. Before mental health was discussed, suicides were rife. For many in soldier settlements, it was a grim situation. In Redcliffe's, though, 33,000 returned service people came to the town and some managed to survive. They even thrived, thanks in part to an irrigation system designed by Americans, the Chafee Brothers. This is Ian Cook, grandson of a soldier settler in Redcliffs. My um, grandfather was in the First World War and uh, after coming back, he um, came to the area fruit picking actually with his wife um, before 1920 and decided to take up an allotment when they were um, offered in 1920. And so he put his name down for uh, a property and was allocated block 242 which was next door to the secondary college now and uh, took up um, the property had to clear the land as all the local soldiers all did uh, and lived in a probably a tent uh, initially as m- many of them did um, but when the house was built 
he set up the property and grew dried fruit, uh, sultanas, currants and strawberries, I think, on the side, or uh, certainly um, passion fruit uh, and other vegetables. He had been in vegetables before he went um, went away at war. Yeah. I never met him. He died in 1943, two years before I was born, so from war-related injuries. Okay. What, what uh, sort of injuries do you know? I think he was oh, – he had been gassed. Yep. Um, I believe, and no doubt other issues. Ian, are you aware, and I'm sure you are, given that your grandfather managed to purchase so many properties, mm-hmm. that being sent to Redcliffs after the First World War, particularly for uh, some of these poor war-ravaged men, was a pretty steep task, wasn't it? And Oh, and, yes. And they had no experience um, and and – they and probably I, I think it was it was well aware that their mental health was um, in a pretty bad way for for many of them. Uh, it's it, it uh, and and these these properties weren't given to them. They were they were lo- they were given loans, weren't uh, they? They were given a um, yes. It was a loan. It was called a grant, close to settlement league grant, I believe. But it was actually a loan, and they did pay it back over a, some of them a very long period. Mm. and um, you know, lower interest. But, in fact, properties we bought from neighbours still had that um, that loan running and, and when you bought the property, you paid it out and yeah. uh, moved on. And a lot left because they, they were – they just couldn't – I mean, it was it was too much. Oh, it was too hard. It was right. Mental health then was, a, well, a non-issue, of course. Yeah. Uh, and many of them were shell-shocked or ha- suffered in many different ways. But they were, um, the community in Redcliffs was, I guess, different to how Maldura started because it, it all started in a couple of years. And they were mostly soldiers who took up the properties. And so some of them, um, yes, couldn't cope at all with the physical work or the mental side of it and opted out fairly fairly quickly. But there were many who stayed and, and there's two and three, four generations or three generations at least um, who have stayed on in the area. It wasn't only returned soldiers that worked the arid land. In the 1940s through to the 70s, there was a huge wave of migration in Australia, consisting of people often escaping war-torn countries of their own. Many were attracted to the area of Red Cliffs because the climate and the landscape presented similarities to the Mediterranean. The blocks often sold cheaply too, as soldiers had abandoned the land earlier which then allowed the migrants to set up farming that has run for decades and is generational in families. When I lived in Redcliffs, I had very little idea that the grapes used to make the wine that filled my much-loved, reasonably-priced cask came from land that was hard fought for, both physically and mentally, from many generations of Australians. Growing grapes was hard graft, but it was the ability of the farmers to make something out of absolutely nothing that perhaps led to one of the greatest innovations in wine delivery the world has seen. The world loved it too. And it all happened on another soldier settlement block, a couple of hundred kilometres down the road in a riverside town called Renmark. John Angove's dad, Tom, lived on a block too, and while tinkering about in a tin shed, he invented the wine cask, the good old goon bag, the bag in a box. Call it whatever you want, but don't call it a cask. John, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the fact that the, the wine cask as well was often seen as, 
you know, it had nicknames like the Dubbo handbag and, uh, you know, or funny titles like that, which I love. And, and kids today call it, call it the goon bag. I, I was wondering if you had any uh, um, understanding of how your dad felt about those kind of names that they gave. Oh, he hated them. Did he, he hated them. And he, he also hated it being called a cask. Oh, really? He said it's not a cask. A cask is a wooden vessel in which you mature premium wine. Mm. Um, and he always referred to it as bag in box. Bag in it's box. Bag in box. It's yep. bag in box. I think once he was overseas and saw a product in a in a box in a plastic bag, and I think it was battery acid or something weird like that, and thought, hang on, that concept could work really well with wine. Let's put wine inside a plastic bag, drop that plastic bag inside a cardboard box, and when you draw the wine off, the flexible bag will collapse on the wine and keep the air away from the wine. What a wonderful idea. It would have been in the mid-1960s, 1965, mm. 1964, somewhere there. And he came home with this um, prototype. And I remember saying to him, Dad, there's no way in the world that anyone is going to buy good quality wine in a plastic bag inside a cardboard box. It's it's just not going to happen. Dad said, well, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he, he then set about um, setting up a system to try and actually f- get the process into flow, into actually getting bags of wine filled with wine inside cardboard boxes because there was no production equipment as there is today. He had literally to start from scratch as to exactly how to put the sale unit together. Um, but he persevered and persevered and eventually put out a range of table and fortified wines in these one-gallon packs. And they took off. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> and so he then said, see it? Yeah, I told you so. Well, it was a brilliant concept and um, I'm <laughs> yes. so glad to have discovered that it, it came not far from where I grew up and, yes. and from a similar, yes, similar, I guess, um, a, a, a similar state of mind, which is it, it seemed, I mean, these blocks were – we're a place of, of hard work and, and ideas and innovation and probably most Australians wouldn't wouldn't know that, would they? Oh, look, I think the, the soldier settlers uh, and and also the Italian Greek migrants who yep. came out and start, they worked incredibly hard um, and at a time when grape growing was a very much more labour-intensive activity than it is today, uh, because today you, you sit in a air-conditioned tractor cab and go up and down the rows, and then you sit in your air-conditioned automatic harvester and go up and down the rows. It's me. a very, very different game. Goodness me! Uh, yeah, it's a very different game from when I was a kid too. Yes, hey, yes. could you, using with your expert uh, knowledge, John? Do you think that because quite a, quite a few of our grapes, half of them would go to Sultanas, and the other half would go off to a winery? Do you reckon? Yeah. Do you reckon the grapes that I picked in? Uh, in the eighties, <laughs> would have mm. gone to somehow maybe end up in a in a box somewhere in a bag in a box. Guarantee, <laughs> guarantee, yep, guarantee. Oh, I love it. I love it. That makes me happy. Um, <laughs> John, I've got everything I need for 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 this. Thank you very much. Right. You've been very generous with no, your time. Thank you, Miss. But um, I just wanted to tell you too, as part of this little podcast, when we launch it, I'm making my own um, wine. It's in. It's only in a bag. You know how they do it now in the 
sort of it's it's kind of a modern little little plastic bag. Mm. Um, I'm doing my own version as a as a little promo for it. So because right. I've always because okay. I've always had um, had the had the because I used to call as a student when I was very poor and living in a share house. I used to call the bag in the box the lonely lady because it was always in the fridge for when you were lonely or you are you're <laughs> right. home alone yep. or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm releasing my own little line of, of the lonely lady inspired by your father's invention. So <laughs> there you go. That it it, it all fun. comes That's full fun. circle. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. So there you have it. The humble goon bag comes full circle. There's so much more to it than simply having a friend in the fridge. It's a tale of hardship of trauma and impossible odds, of dreams, of hope, and most of all, of innovation. All to bring you wine that was initially derided by the wine snobs, but for many folks, made it more easily accessible because it was a relatively cheap way to experience wine, which in turn, I have no doubt, encouraged the wine industry to grow into what it is today. I mean, where would I be without my cask of Lonely Lady in the fridge back in the day? Now it's time to fulfil my life's dream. It's true. It's a small dream, but it's mine. I get to make that cheap drop of white wine with a broad fruity palate that appeals to so many. And in the spirit of Tom Angove, I'm going to chuck it in a bag with an Art Deco font, a sepia-toned picture of me looking like I'm a cast member of Picnic at Hanging Rock. It's my Deb photo from 1988, so that's close enough. I was wearing white. I'll give it a reasonable price point, and there you have it. The Lonely Lady, for real. For those times when you need a friend in the fridge, which these days is often. Cheers. <laughs> Dry, cheeky, 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 but not too. Wow, what is it? Cheeky, but not too pretentious. Yeah. Litmus Media. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.